Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For God said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Amen. Thanks, Esther. Uh, Please keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 3. Well, before we get into our passage tonight, will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
uh, we thank you that you are the giver of new life. Heavenly Father, please help me now to speak your word clearly tonight. And we pray that through your word, that you will change our hearts, that you'll change our minds, and that you'll change our actions, so that we may live the lives you want us to live. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, They say that the only thing constant in life is change. And I reckon that's right in nearly every aspect of our lives. Whether it's regularly changing your toothbrush or the big decisions that shape your future, we're always confronted with change. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm someone who finds change hard. I'm someone who takes change. I'm always me new clothes to wear. And if I'm resistant with those types of changes, well, you can imagine what I was like when I had to make big changes in my life. Changes like changing school, moving out of home, having kids, coming here to Abbotsford. With nearly any change, I often start off reluctant But in the end, for most of them, if not all of them, I've never looked back on it. And the change has always been worth it. Well, just as change is inevitable in life, change is inevitable in the Christian life. Where God has the agenda to change our sinful behavior and our negative attitudes so that we can become more like his son Jesus. However, for many of us, if not all of us, I reckon, I reckon we find change is difficult. And sometimes it's something that we're resistant to. Now, you might be here and you are a new Christian. And you're struggling to change the habits that you had before you became a Christian. Or maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for a while. And you feel right now that you've just plateaued in your walk with Jesus and your life seems stagnant or maybe you're here and you've fallen into sin in a really big way and you're wondering how will you ever get back on track well our passage tonight shows us that knowing Jesus will change us and that Jesus is the key for us to change, and to change for the better. Uh, Tonight we're going to see three things. Firstly, we're going to see um, our changed beggar. Uh, And then secondly, we're going to see a changed disciple. And then thirdly, change in our own lives. Uh, But firstly, let me get you up to speed where we're up to in the book of Acts. Now, in chapter 1, Jesus announced God's mission plan, where the disciples were to go out and tell others about the great news of Jesus, and they're to start doing that in Jerusalem, and then in the next state of, in the state of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And in chapter 2 that we saw last week, well, phase 1 of God's mission plan had started during the Feast of Pentecost, 
where God poured out his spirit on the disciples. The disciples spoke in different languages. And on that day, 3,000 people became Christians and the first church was born. And so as Jesus has formed this new community, uh, we're seeing lives being changed. And that brings us to chapter 3. Where the first part of chapter 3, we see an example of that change that Jesus brings in the healing of the crippled beggar. And it's a great story, isn't it? The unknowing beggar looks for money. Uh, Peter comes up with that brilliant line in verse 6 where he says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And amazingly, the man was instantly, dramatically, and permanently healed. Uh, The sight of uh, the man jumping around like a pogo stick in the temple square would have made quite an impact. Now, at first glance, as we look at this miracle, it, it seems like your stock standard miracle that you see in the Bible. Because there's tons of these types of miracles in the Gospels. And on the face of it, it just looks like more of the same. A bloke can't walk, one sentence is spoken, and now he can. It seems quite matter of fact. Except for two little details. And the first detail is this, and it's the key to understanding Acts chapter 3. Peter and John don't heal this man with their own power. They don't even pray and then do it. But they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You see, it's not because Peter and John know the magic words. No, no, it's because Jesus is acknowledged as the only source of help and salvation. You see, Jesus is there. He's at work. The only power here belongs to Jesus alone. Now, Jesus may not be there physically, but he's still healing people. But you know, here's, this, here's the second thing. The other thing about this miracle is that it's a visual act of a deeper reality. It's a picture of the transformation that Jesus brings. Uh, Did you notice that the crippled man was begging at the temple gate and not inside the temple itself? Because the Old Testament law saw that this this man with this condition, this guy is unacceptable to enter the temple. Uh, His condition has made him ceremonially unclean. And so every day he's taken to the gate but can't go any further. Now, presumably his friends would leave him there and they go into the temple. But this crippled man himself is excluded. It's not a nice feeling to be left out, isn't it? Everyone gets an invite to the party. You don't. Everyone's included. You're not. And for every day of this man's life, this beggar felt excluded but then Peter introduces him to Jesus and his life is changed forever 
Uh, now, if you go onto YouTube and you type uh, hearing for the first time or seeing for the first time, uh, there's also one of a paralyzed man who's able to dance with his wife for the very first time. Uh, and you'll see from all these clips what it's like for people to experience a sensation for the first time because of some new medical procedure. Now, the, the procedures all vary, but one thing is constant. Oh, a number of things are constant. Uh, there's always excitement. There's always hugs. There's always tears. And there's always unrestrained joy. And I reckon all those things are present here in Acts chapter 3. You see, this guy was someone's son, someone's friend, someone's neighbor. Walking for the first time in their life, not because of a medical procedure, but because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How powerful must this Jesus Christ of Nazareth be if it's only by his name that this miracle happens? But did you notice what the guy does next? Yes, he's walking and jumping around, but he does the one thing that he's never done before. And you see that in verse 8. He goes with Peter and John into the temple. After a lifetime of sitting at the gate, this man now walks inside. What we see with this beggar, It's a picture of what happens when someone calls on the name of Jesus for help. This is a picture of of a person who used to be unacceptable to God, but then calls upon the name of the Lord and can now become acceptable to God and come into his very presence. You see, this miracle actually symbolizes the gospel itself of how people are saved and changed forever. This miracle also emphasizes how powerful the risen Christ is, which is exactly how Peter feels about it. And so he takes the opportunity to explain exactly to the crowd what's happened here and who Jesus is. And so for the next part of Acts chapter 3, Peter goes on to explain how this Jesus of Nazareth is the one who is anticipated in all the key parts of the Old Testament. And Peter raises four points. Let me go through them real briefly. In verse 13, uh, Jesus is the servant of the Lord. He's the one who's promised by the prophet Isaiah, the one who would suffer and die in our place. And then verse 14, Jesus is the holy and righteous one, the one who's the king forever. And Jesus proves that he's that king by beating death and being raised to life again. And then verse 22, Jesus is the prophet, where Moses said, this prophet will come, and the one who everyone needs to listen to. And then finally in verse 25, Jesus is the descendant of Abraham, the one that's promised in Genesis, the one where the whole world uh, will be blessed. And so, it's actually because of who Jesus is. Well, verse 19, have a look. Peter calls for all of those who were at the temple that day too, to repent, 
to change the direction of their lives, to do the U-turn, to come back to God so they can experience the forgiveness of sins. And as you see in the verse, verse 19, so that their sins may be wiped out and be refreshed with new life. It's because of Jesus that people can be changed from having a destiny of judgment to now a destiny of eternal life. And can I say, if you're here here tonight, if you haven't made that decision to repent, for, for you to ask him for your sins to be forgiven, can I ask you, please consider doing that tonight. Or at least talk to someone about it. You can chat to myself or Dean or Carmen after the gathering tonight if you want to find out more. Now, so far in Acts, it's become clear that well, Peter himself is also a changed man. And so on the, the, that speech he made on the day of Pentecost uh, in Acts 2, it, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. No, he really has changed. And that's the thing, before Pentecost, Peter wasn't like this at all. In fact, he was the exact opposite. Uh, Peter can be seen to be the, the bumbling fool of the twelve disciples. You know, always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. But then on the night before Jesus died, Peter was put on the spot outside the courtyard. Where someone said, hey, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And Peter had a chance to give a clear explanation of who Jesus is, but he didn't. And instead he said effectively, no I wasn't, and I'll hit you in the face if you say that again. But you know when Peter hits rock bottom in his failure, uh, when Luke, the gospel writer, highlights that fact, at the point when Peter denied Jesus, Uh, Verse 61 of Luke 22 says this, where the Lord, that's Jesus, turned and looked straight at Peter. You see, it was with that look that Peter ran outside and wept bitterly. But we see here in Acts that because of the Spirit, Peter has been transformed from a blubbling mess to now a bold and powerful spokesperson for Jesus. And it's by this same Spirit that God changes people like you and me. You see, if we belong to Jesus, then we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And like Peter, our lives can be changed too, and we can also become powerful witnesses for Jesus. Now, I don't know if you usually think of yourself like that. A powerful witness for Jesus. But can I say, if you've handed control of your life to Jesus, then you need to expect to be changed. Because we have the Spirit. We're not alone. We're not powerless. We're not destined to be a failure. We're people who've been changed and will continue to be changed by His Spirit. And how does the Spirit change us? Well, the Spirit takes the Spirit, the, the message of Jesus, helps us grasp it, 
and then works it deep into our thinking, into our longing, into our decision making, so that we increasingly become more like Jesus. So it's by His Spirit that He'll change our hearts, that He'll change our priorities, that He'll change how we think and how we act. So as we continue to follow Jesus, it's going to change how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we respond to difficult situations. And as we continue to follow Jesus, it also change our outlook on life. It will change how we view things, how we view our relationships, how we view our work, how we view our studies, how we view our retirement. And as Jesus changes us, we'll be a people who grow in our devotion to Him and others, we'll grow in our generosity, and we'll grow in our joy. Can I say this? Because change is inevitable, that means we're to ask questions of ourselves if we're not seeing any change. Because it means that there's actually something not right with us. And I reckon the main thing that stops us from changing is actually us, because we don't want to change. And I reckon there are two reasons why we don't want to change. And the first one's pride. You know, it's easy for us to think that you know, we're not that bad, We don't tend to think that our hearts are that evil. So we don't take responsibility for our sin. Now, we might admit that things need to be changed, but we may not want to admit that we're the problem. And so we use a number of avoiding strategies where we excuse our sin or minimize it or even hide it. And we end up not dealing with it. The other reason I reckon we don't want to change is because we still love our sin, even though we hate its consequences. Because at the heart of those times when we're tempted, we still think that sin offers more than God. We think that living God's way is giving up things that we enjoy. But the thing is, living God's way is always good. God has called us to the good life. So God is always going to be bigger and better than anything sin has to offer. And so the thing that we need to keep remembering is, well, because we now have the Spirit, change is inevitable. Um, I used to think that the process of changing to be more like Jesus, it's like... It felt like pushing a boulder up a hill. And it's hard, slow work, and if you lose concentration, you might find yourself down at the bottom. But changing to be more like Jesus isn't actually like that. It's actually more like a boulder rolling down a hill. There's something inevitable about it, because it's God's work, and God always succeeds. The sad thing is, is us. We often try to push the boulder 
back up the hill. In effect, we're saying to God, God, don't change me yet. I like doing that sin. And so one key for continual change, for us to change as a Christian, is to have the right and correct perspective on what sin actually is, as well as the goodness of God. And that good change, that's what he brings. But the other thing, the key thing for us to change, is to know it's not primarily going to happen because of what we do, but instead change will happen as we rely on the one who can do the changing. It's exactly what we saw with the beggar. Because it wasn't because he did anything, but what did he do? He trusted in Jesus. This actually answers one of Dean's questions. If you still have uh, your Bibles open, please read verse 16 of Acts 3, as Peter shows us how this man was healed. Acts 3, verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes to him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. It's by faith that we're saved, and it's by that same faith that we continue to be changed. And so for us, well, that means that we're to keep going back to the cross. Because it's at the cross where we find hope where we see the power of sin broken and our sinful nature put to death. It's at the cross uh, we see the glorious grace of God, where he died for his enemies, the righteous for the unrighteous. It's at the cross we see our resources and our joy as we find strength and power that we need to overcome sin. So as the cross is the means by which we become Christians, the cross is the means by which we're changed to be more like Jesus. Uh, We've seen tonight how God changes us. And it's a change that in the end, you'll never look back on, you'll never regret. And it's a change that's always worth it. And if Jesus could radically transform the lives of the crippled beggar and Peter in the way he has, then there's absolutely no doubt that he can radically change us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, that because of his death and resurrection, our sins can be wiped out, that we can be refreshed with new life in you. Heavenly Father, we confess there are times when we resist you changing us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will change our hearts, that you'll help us to change those areas in our lives that need change. And we pray that through our changed lives, people can see you in us, and that through our lives, that they may want to follow you as well. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.